Welcome to Market Scales, The Trust Revolution, How Trust Unlocks the Future. Hosted by the CEO of White Fox Defense, a global leader in drone airspace security, here's technology entrepreneur, Luke Fox. Hello, and thank you for joining us on The Trust Revolution. Today on the podcast, we have Stuart McClure. Stuart is known as a visionary for a new approach to threat detection, protection, and response. He's the founding author of Hacking Exposed, one of the first in-depth books on hacking, and actually the first book that got me interested in cybersecurity. Stuart single-handedly revolutionized the entire cybersecurity industry by being the first to apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to the problem of malicious code execution on the endpoint with his company, Silence, which he founded in 2012 and operated as CEO and chairman for six years until selling for BlackBerry for $1.5 billion. Prior to Silence, Stuart was the general manager and global chief technology officer at McAfee, a cybersecurity company, where he was responsible for a $3 billion consumer and corporate security products business. Stuart, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Luke, for having me. Really appreciate it. And so jumping into the context of the topic at hand, much like exposure to a biological contagion, as we've become very familiar with throughout 2020, we look at computers also being able to have contagions and seeing how they can spread in many insidious manners. Just like this biological virus, our exposure to our physical network, as we've learned through contract tracing, et cetera, for COVID also seems to have an appropriate analogy for malware and cybersecurity. Can you tell us a little bit about that and this whole concept of what people are talking about, how supply chain is so critical in cybersecurity? Yeah, and it's one of the, I guess, sort of sleeping giants, if you will, in our space. You know, a lot of people look uh, to traditional sort of antivirus technology to solve all of their problems. And unfortunately, it just doesn't. I mean, in large part because it's foundationally broken how they go about detecting and trying to prevent viruses. Um, they simply cannot truly prevent any viruses with the signature-based approach. But also because I think that's what the consumer sees every day. They, they're on their computer and they either see, you know, a, a dancing kitten that they didn't expect or, or some sort of major crash or ransomware attack, something that makes it real for them. But supply chain hacking is and has been for as long as I can remember a huge insidious sort of, you know, backdoor uh, technique that mostly nation states or really sophisticated attackers take advantage of because that's where the crown jewels are as we're within the supply chain. And it's often one of the most over and well, under overlooked, underlooked um, uh, techniques is, especially for defenders, is they don't really think that, well, my trusted partner is going to uh, allow an attacker into my network. And that's exactly what this sunburst attack with SolarWinds and FireEye and Microsoft, uh, what, what they talked about and what they're trying to share. And the details are a little bit, slim right now but you get the gist i mean this is nothing well, new so real as we go into that i, I want to make sure that that i understand what you're talking about there you said the signature the signature based approach yeah 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 can you help us what does that mean right so the the way the whole av and really antivirus was i you could really you know very successfully argue that it was the first real threat vector was viruses out there in the world um that sort of self-perpetuated, that you know, really did mimic the the biological viruses that are out there, um, that takes advantage of the re natural resources and then replicates itself to move and and go far beyond the original host that it it attacked. But yeah, so signature-based approaches was the best way to detect and then kill viruses for 30 years. I mean, 35 years. I mean, up until really. I had left McAfee and really decided that there was a fundamentally different way to go and detect these things and really apply more of my programming background and decision learning, decision tree sort of, you know, methodology in my mind, how I've been thinking about it all along is simply learn from all of the past viruses, what they do, how they work, where they come from, uh, what functions are they, are they calling, what libraries are they calling, and then, and then building in a huge matrix of good and bad indications um, and then build that into software that could do it in real time in millisecond timing and that, that's exactly what silence was born from is that idea that we could apply true machine learning 
and data science to predict, not just detect, which is is good. You could, you know, detecting that the virus on your computer is great, but it's a little late, right? The virus is already there. So between the virus getting on and you detecting, it could be days, weeks, months, years, like in this case with Sunburst. I mean, at least probably nine months, more likely years, okay, that this Sunburst attack's been around. And so certainly, you know, having um, a signature-based approach was always a decent way, but that's when viruses came out, you know, once a week, once a month. And no one really innovated um, in that space. And until so we were getting like half a million new viruses every single day. And we, we measured that really easily. You would just, you know, go to a couple publicly available uh, websites for um, viruses that were cataloged and sort of built like an encyclopedia. And you could query from them. You could, you could download them. You could test from them. And, and it got up to a half a million every single 24 hours in the peak of silence. And so what was good is, well, we had a lot of classifications that we could learn from and we could build these machine learning models. Um, but also there was a way to sort of categorize them, to understand them, to, to you know, sort of slice and dice them a bit. But the technology that was built from the original antivirus, really until sounds came out, was all about, I've got to detect a signature for an existing virus. So that means if it's brand new, the likelihood that that same signature is going to catch it is real slim. So like take COVID right now, right? You probably saw the news right. with the UK and there's a mutation out, right? And my my first question, of course, being the security guy is sort of like, wait a second, does the current vaccine miss this one? Because man, that would be, that would suck. It's the wrong, because it has the wrong signature. Exactly. Right? It has <laughs> the wrong signature, the, the wrong technique for detection, right? And um it looks actually now that I'm starting to see some of the news and reports, it looks like the current vaccine is just as effective with the new mutation. But hey, it, another mutation come out next week or next month or next year that the vaccine would not be very effective against. So that's the same concept in cyber. You know, you have these antivirus companies that build all these signatures, quote unquote, to determine whether this is a bad thing or a good thing. And um but they can only build signatures on what they've already seen successful in the past. And that's the challenge. And so we had to completely abandon that mindset and we had to look for a brand new way to, to predict when something was going to be virus-like before we allowed it into the body. And that, that's the, the same general gist. I think of, you know, you've probably heard of it a lot, but there are universal vaccines for the flu that are starting to come out now. They've been working on this for gosh, probably 10 years now, where instead of having to get a new vaccine for every flu strain or new variant of flu, they've actually found the fundamental components and elements of the flu and then start to detect on those elements. And so they could catch all new, not just today's flus, but the flus that'll come out next year, next decade, et cetera. It's the same kind of concept is we were just way ahead on the cyber side um, in building these large sort of data science models that we could learn from and then predict on and predict in real time, which is key. Predict within milliseconds rather than predict within days and weeks and months, which is what everyone else in the industry does today. And it seems like it's always looking backwards at what's happened in the past. That's exactly it. It's like it's like driving your car and looking at only the rear view mirror, right? You're gonna you're gonna hit something, <laughs> man, eventually. It's just there's no way yep. around it. Yeah. And then when you do hit somebody, something or someone, then you know that you hit them and you say, oh, when I feel a bump, that's how I know I hit somebody. <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. Oh, now I can't go straight anymore. Maybe I should turn left or right a little bit. Yeah. And see how it goes. I know it's it literally is like working in the blind uh, in the dark. You know, just you, you just can't see it much of anything. That's that's so fascinating. And especially as we look at the at the world today where, as you mentioned, we have uh, this topic of FireEye and Starburst. So going just taking a step back and walking, uh, if you could help us walk through that. So starting from the beginning, as I understand it, a highly regarded, highly trusted cybersecurity company known as FireEye realizes that some of their software is missing. Can you help me understand and the audience understand what went missing and how did that happen? Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they haven't given a super... Um sort of trove of details yet. That usually comes in the weeks and months after, right? The initial uh, announcement. And, uh, you know, by the way, uh, Kevin Mandia, um, I hired Kevin at one of my uh, companies back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Foundstone, um, straight out of uh, 
the Air Force Information Warfare Center. And um, he was great. He built he built our whole forensics practice and some response practice. And so when he left and started Mandiant and then got acquired by FireEye, he has he's long been in the space. I mean, what Kevin talks about, it's legit. It's not hyperbole. It's not embellishment. It's like it's probably understated, if anything. Right. Um, you can always really trust what, Kev- what comes out of Kevin's mouth, unlike a lot in our space. And his re- and his relevance to this case is. Yes. Well, he's the CEO well, of FireEye. OK, so he, of, of this highly regarded cybersecurity. Right. He company. got hacked. That's, right. I mean, yeah. and I really, uh, you know, I really do give him props for coming out first with it. I think he knew he had to because Microsoft was going to come out at some point because they were hit. You know, Cisco was hit. They were going to have to do something. They're all sort of semi competitors, actually, to FireEye. So I can see where Kevin was like, look, we found it. We're we're pushing this out. Um and, and, you know, not a lot of details, unfortunately, but let's just let's go with the details that we that were given to us. Right. At the beginning. Yeah. yeah. At the what, beginning. what did we know starting out? Exactly. So, you know, what we knew or what we know now today is that somewhere around March of this year, probably taking advantage of the global pandemic, which in the U.S., which, by the way, is like quintessential hacking, especially nation state hacking technique and and, and tradecraft. I mean, I remember the first time I got exposed to this tradecraft. It was really in the mid to late 90s when I was doing a, a deal or a gig, a, a pen test where, you know, you get paid to hack into a company. And it was a bank down in Argentina, of all places. And they had a in the same week they had a run on the bank. OK, a run on the whole banking system in Argentina. And I remember physically uh, or it was in yeah, cyber. No, it's physical. It was the the. the um, I can't remember the conditions under which the economy was starting to really, really struggle. Uh, you can look it up. It was like, it had to be like 90, yeah, like 98 is what I'm thinking. At any rate, the, the whole banking system was starting to fail. There was runs on the bank. And so everybody was freaked out, right? They were questioning whether or not they had a job the next day. Do you think they're looking at like web logs and like firewall logs? Like no one's looking at this. So that's where the bad guys started the attack was... When you're under crisis, when you're distracted by everything else but your job, that's the perfect time to go. So I can see that that timing of March actually being probably pretty accurate. Um, they might have been teasing up until that point, setting up the game plan, right? Preparing for it, getting ready, but then hitting on March. So on March... And so when they hit, yeah, yeah tell, yeah, tell yeah. us what, what exactly happened just with FireEye, just starting off with in that limited case. Okay, so what, what typically happens, and, and again, I don't have... You know, I'm not an, an insider at FireEye and I don't have yes, sort of, of like, you know, I, I'm not working outside my box and coloring outside my lines here on this. OK, so I'm just telling you what I know, what's publicly available. OK, sure. So come March, um, what ends up happening is um, FireEye starts to see some weird traffic on their network is probably what happened. Or they also have a host detection product. So maybe it's on the host, right, that they had their software running on. They start to see some weird behavior. You know, maybe services are stopped or getting killed. Maybe there's some traffic that looks like there's too much traffic of this particular protocol. Like, why is that? All of a sudden, like yesterday, it was, you know, one gigabyte of traffic and today it's 100 gigabyte. Like, that's not right. That's not normal. There's something weird. So they double click in it. They start to tear down all of the traffic that goes from their servers out to the Internet somewhere. And they start to look at where all this data is going. And they start to look at what, all, all the traffic that's coming back and to and from what's what's called C2 traffic, right? Command and control traffic. And then they start to look at the actual system calls on the servers that they are starting to see some of this host traffic on. And they start to realize, like, uh, we have a problem, Houston, and we're going to need to go all in on this. This is, I, again, I'm just speculating. I want it clear. I, yeah. I do not have insight. No. Of course. But I've, been, I've done this so many times. We, this is just usually how it works. And so... Of course, everybody, you know, war rooms get set up. Everybody's, you know, called in to do forensic analysis on these systems. And then but not trip, you know, sort of like tell the hackers that they know that they're there. So they sit mm. and watch and they watch wow. all the traffic. They watch all the system calls on the host. They, they start to pull the pieces together of what's actually happening. And what they start to realize is that this one DLL that is loaded into memory as part of the service of SolarWinds monitoring, right? 
this one DLL is calling out to the internet to some random, you know, totally sketchy domained, you know, uh, server out there, and then communicating back and forth. And they see tons of communications and then tons of activity on the host, like uh, services are getting killed, like files are getting stored there, like they're executing files, they're transferring files, um, you know. including one of which was their pen testing. Yes. Software. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what can you tell us? Why, why is that so scary? And people bit? love to go. There's been many, many hacks. So, you know, you might have heard of, of hacks against the CIA and the NSA and the, all their toolkits and such. And it's it's quite a popular pastime for hackers. They like to get your goodies. It's sort of like, you know, breaking into your house and just grabbing the guns and the loot. Right. It's just get the most valuable things that you possibly can, the jewelry and the cash. And then you get out. And, and this, the pen test tools, is one of the one of the most prized possessions because this is how FireEye, what the tools that FireEye uses to tell a customer that they're vulnerable to attack. Okay. Mm, wow. And so if you're a nation state, it's like the diagnostic it's, it's, tool. Exactly. It's just a diagnostic tool. So if you're a nation state and you want to know what the trigger for insecurity <laughs> is at a com a company, well, you learn learn their tools. You know their techniques. Their their practices right because all you have to do is just do something other than that because then they'll think right. it's safe you see then it, it and they can scrimmage that against that tool that, yeah before uh, going out into the real world 100 so you can take their tool and you can try and see well am i going to be caught if we use this tool and we try this technique and so that is one of the number one places that people go especially when it comes to cybersecurity companies when they hack into them for sure um, next place is they go data, right? They go customers, they go uh, P PII of any sort, PHI, if it's a healthcare hospital company, you know, hospital organization, things like that. So it just depends on the target and what's the most valuable thing <coughs> out there. And so as they're looking at all this data being exfiltrated out of their network, including their the crown jewels of this uh, this pen testing, penetration testing software, they start to realize that some of this is coming from this DLL, which we'll we'll touch on. But I'm curious. There was also mention that they've uh, they've talked about a forged multi-factor authentication. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and 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 certificates. Can you help us understand what the? I mean, multi-factor authentication is supposed to be the gold standard, <laughs> right? Everybody should do it. And yet now, is is that I the know. reason that so, we're in this mess? Gosh, yeah. There's so much to unpack on this. We'll try and keep it quick. Um, so there's two two elements here that you brought up, which I'll talk about. So first is the digital certificate. Now, in the Windows world, well, in any compute world, you could linux in a similar vein but let let's stick to the the topic at hand which is windows in the windows world it it gives a certain level of higher trust to those that are digitally signed okay and when mm. when you go to get like you know on your website you have an https right an ssl certificate right the little lock sign. the little lock sign it's the same sort of concept except they are getting a, a an S, a digital certificate to sign their code with okay and when mm. you sign your code, you're basically registering it, saying that we are a legitimate company doing legitimate software, and you need to legitimize us. You need to think of us as legitimate. You need to trust us. And so because of that, Windows allows for greater privilege in the operating system for that signed code. So if you have signed code, you, you basically have the keys of the kingdom. You can do anything you want. There's very, very little, if anything, that you cannot do uh, in, in a valid state. You know, you can just do whatever you want, uh, and it won't be seen as malicious at all. It'll be just seen as normal. Oh, yeah, well, SolarWinds is just doing that. Big deal, right? No, no problem. And so that's the first problem. Now, this the, to explain why that's such a big deal, you have to know about supply chain, supply chain hacking. The number one target of a supply chain hack is to attack the build server, okay, the server that houses all of your code, that when you compile the code before it's sent out to the customer as an update or a brand new piece of software, before it gets compiled, right, and, and afterwards you sign it with this digital certificate. Well, if you are into the code base itself and you're able to modify the code and put your malicious backdoor in the code before it gets signed, 
Well, now it just looks like a legitimate piece of software and written by SolarWinds. So why wouldn't we trust it, right? There's no reason not to trust it. So to me, the, the, this is pretty much just a dime a dozen. When, when you hear about hacks like, um, well, RSA hack was, was one, uh, right, where they got the seed values of their tokens, you know, um, that, that was a big play. You know, there was uh, Bit9 before it became Carbon Black, before it was acquired by VMware. They had a huge build server uh, uh, attack where they compromised all of the, uh, of the uh, signing certs for their build process. So any product that they had, a hacker could bypass it easily. Um, then also, well, OPM was a sort of a supply chain hack, but not really. Um, OPM was, of course, Office of Personnel Management, which is one of the big cases that Silence did early on in, in the years of Silence. And then the most interesting one I think that the audience will really appreciate was very um, understated hack of an HP printer. So, so this came out in the public domain as a printer driver that had been uh, pre-digitally signed, just like in the SolarWinds hack, okay? An, an adversary had gotten into the build process for a printer driver and had planted backdoors in there. And then of course, they didn't catch it. Uh, engineers signed the code, said, yep, it's endorsed by HP, this is us, 100%. And then of course, I think it was like over a million uh, printers were sort of affected by that. And that was somewhere in uh, early 2000, it's like 2013, I wanna say, maybe 2014, something like that. And Okay, and so the hackers you know, got a, got a win by getting some malicious code in there. What does that mean? What does that mean? Ah, well, the moment you get malicious code, especially signed, now you have s sort of God privilege on the computer. You can do whatever you want. So you can you can exfiltrate data. You can ransomware the box. You can just surveil uh, the users, right? You can um, record all of their traffic, where they're going, what they're doing. You can download their passwords. You know, there's an underground market for all of this stuff. Um, you could turn it into a botnet, you know, it'd be a part of a botnet and then go out and, and DDoS some, some websites. Like there's just countless things that you could do once you get godlike privilege on a computer system. And so as we go up this chain, then we have FireEye, which says, holy cow, our crown jewels were just taken. How did this happen? How did this happen in our nose? And they say, wait a second. It looks like the cyber, the other cybersecurity company, cybersecurity company we use going up the chain, this SolarWinds, uh, they had, they been compromised through their product that was, that was hacked. And then they said, well, I guess that means that it's not just us. It's maybe all of SolarWinds, 18,000 customers. Right, right. Exactly. And so. And so who uses SolarWinds, right? Like, I don't think, like, I, I've never, like, I have never heard of SolarWinds before. A lot of people haven't, but they're pretty important, right? Oh, my gosh. I've been using SolarWinds since the mid-90s, probably 95, 96, okay? Because they had some of the coolest tools to manage your network, period. Like, they're just a network managing monitoring machine. And I actually use some of their tools to hack, believe it or not. If you were to search on Google for my name, the word solar winds and like InfoWorld, which was the place where I did a lot of the publications of it, you'd find them there. I used I used to write about them all the time. Cool, cool tools, right? So if I'm a bad guy, if I'm a nation state guy, and somebody tells me your life is dependent on you getting into the most com companies out there in the world, I, I, this is all I do. This is all I focus on. I focus on getting solar winds. Yes, a hundred percent. SolarWinds, maybe IBM, maybe Splunk, you know, basically the, the tools and infrastructure of the internet. Because if you're in there, man, you're everywhere because everybody use these, uses these tools. And so, so... So then you don't have to hack each one, right? That's right. You're just go, that's right. You hack one company yeah. and now you're in... Exploit many. What hack one, exploit oh. many, yeah. You, you just... It's, wow. It's, it's the only way to fly, really. And, you know, time is money. So I'm sure that that was the big motivator to go after this sort of sort of target but yeah i can just i can just imagine myself flying the wall in the fire eye rooms right and them saying guys we got a big big problem uh it looks like this legitimate solar winds tool this dll is communicating and controlling our servers in real time and they're doing bad things somebody needs to call solar winds so i'm sure i, I can hear the call now 
ring, ring, ring. Solar Winds picks up. They go, yeah, we got a problem. And they go, nah, I'm sure you're just, it's user error. You're not really seeing it right. And they're going, nope. We've been doing this a long time. We know what's going on. They take another look at it. They go, holy crap, you're right. Okay, what does this really mean? Now they have to look at all of their build servers. They have to look at all of their systems, just expanded everywhere in the cloud and on the premise, uh, everywhere. And then they have to try and ascertain, okay, what's the scope of this? Like, okay, how many people downloaded this one file that we know this one DLL is a part of? You know, what other areas of source code have they infiltrated? You know, how are we going to detect this stuff? You know, it's one of the most challenging problems in cybersecurity is identifying source code vulnerabilities. Hmm. Why is that? Whether whether unknowingly unknowingly put in by a, like a legitimate engineer or, or something that is put in uh, by an adversary. Why? Because code can be so complex. Like, you know... If you have to follow every single function all the way down and every single variable that goes into the functions and, and then the output from each function into all the other functions, it's an enormous challenge that very few people have really tried to solve. There have been some traditional ones like Fortify and uh, Veracode, uh, but really the next generation group are folks like Checkmark, Checkmarks and um, and ShiftLeft. By the way, ShiftLeft, I'm uh, associated with, and I help the, the CEO there uh, through through his building out and growth. But this is a huge, huge problem, and you need to take it very seriously. If you're developing any code anywhere on the planet, you need to have the ability to scan your code before you commit it to the tree that looks at it, uh, not just atomically, like based on just the code that you wrote, but within the perspective of all the other code that it might touch, and it needs to tell you in real time if it's safe or unsafe and why, and then get you the help you need to make the changes that you need to make it safe before you do the full commit. And, and this is one of the biggest challenges. And with everything going CICD, right? Uh, I've just- Which is? Oh, uh, continuous integration, continuous uh, deployment, right? So, uh, or implementation, continuous deployment. But basically it's in, in real time, in the cloud, committing code, um, uh, deploying that out to all your cloud services, right? And then making the changes and then doing it all over again, okay? And just this continuous uh, improvement process of development. And to do this, you have to have solutions that are in the cloud. So um, the only way to do that is you gotta, you gotta find vendors like ShiftLeft that can do this, get, that can get a viewpoint, a bird's eye view into your code as you code it and as you commit it to make sure that only safe and secure codes going into the tree and into the final product. And that's that's hugely challenging. Um, and it's just because it's just so complex, the you know, level of code. I mean, you know, you can have with silence, what we have like over a million, we had like a million and a half lines of code, like within the first four years, you know, it's like, wait, how did this get so big and like crazy, right? So it just depends. Um, it just depends on how big and complex the, the the code tree is, but also like you know how how good the coders have been in developing the code. Like you know, have they followed the pr process and procedures and rules and templates and things that make it a little bit more secure? Do they do peer review, engineer to engineer on on cybersecurity issues? It just depends. Hygiene, on, yeah, hygiene, good, good old fashioned hygiene, stuff like this. You know, you talked about two factor authentication. You know, a lot of people think that. Well, if I just get a text message on my phone for the two-factor number, that's, well, that's plenty secure, right? Well, unfortunately, not anymore. You know, it used to be, but now the attackers and adversaries have actually hacked into the back-end infrastructure that 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 sort of houses the, the one-time authentication code that goes through the telecom communication service. So when you get it on your phone as an SMS, which is completely clear text, right? That code has probably been seen by every single hop that has taken it from, from where it was generated to where when you received it. So that's not secure. You know, they often say, don't don't send those codes now to your phone anymore. Send them just to your email because that tends to be much more secure. But I I actually even doubt that, to, to be honest with you. It's it's just so easy to get those sort of two-factor codes these days um, if you have any level of sophistication uh, whatsoever. I think the the common analogy is if you if you wrote down the code and put it in a city bus and the city bus drove and at each stop 
anybody could peek inside the bus and see what it is before it even gets to yeah, you. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a, the perfect analogy, right? And so those are those are some of the big problems, you know, with this attack. I mean, the bigger one is what people aren't really talking about, which is okay. So we originally heard there's like 40 or 50 customers of Solar Winds that have been impacted. You know, then we heard like 450, maybe 460 or something like that. You know, now honestly. I would be shocked if it wasn't at least half of so, mm. which is what, like 18,000 customers. So half of them, like 9,000. Right. I'd be absolutely floored and shocked um, because it's hit some of the biggest companies out there and there's just no two ways about it, um, even though they're downplaying it. And so as we look at that, this brings up an important uh, piece to this, which is, okay, SolarWinds has fixed their software. They've released a, a new version but there's still this idea of persistence. Well, can you can you help us understand that and why you know the the world is still a bit on fire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, yeah. So I'll use a very current analogy, right? So so my house right now, and, and I do live in a decent neighborhood, but like we have a problem with rats, okay, and actually mice right now. It's a big bit of a pain. And traditionally, I had. I had just been dealing with them out in the yard because we have gardens, right? And, you know, we grow all kinds of edible gardens, you know, not just fruit, but vegetables and all kinds of herbs, all that kind of stuff. And so the, the fight I have constantly is with rodents and, you know, creatures that want to eat this stuff. And, and rats tend to be the biggest, you know, munchers. And so I always constantly fight the them. nation states. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Think of them. They're the nation states right now. Now, traditionally, you know, I'm like, okay, they're just outside. They're just eating the vegetables. Like, okay, big deal. Now I got to get another vegetable or, you know, I got to get a rat trap out or something like that. You know, no big deal. But then the other day, like a week ago, my wife calls me up in a panic and, and I'm like, uh-oh, what is this? She's like, I was in the garage and guess what mm -hmm. I saw? <laughs> and I'm like, no. oh, please don't tell me this is a rat. And she's like, well, I think it's a mouse. <laughs> But it seemed bigger than a mouse. I'm like, that's a rat. I'm like, that has to <laughs> yeah. be a rat. At any rate, I'm like, okay, now they're in the garage. Now, they're, they're one step away from being inside the house. Now, imagine, you know, you come home one day after a holiday. You remember those days when you actually took a vacation. And you come back, and you go into the garage, and, like, your powdered sugar is, like, strewn everywhere. And, like, your bag of chips are just torn, ripped apart. You're like... What the heck happened? Okay, now you've detected a problem, right? Somebody is in there, something is in there, but you don't know where they are yet. They could be coming back. So you clean it up and you think, ah, oh, this is such pain. Like, I don't know where they are. They're in there somewhere, or they have the ability to get in and out of that garage with without even blinking an eye, right? If they aren't in there right now, they will be there when you're asleep. And so there's really no way to know. You could tear apart every single, you know, imagine going into your garage. I don't know if it's yours is like mine, but mine's an absolute train wreck, right? Like there is, there's stuff stuffed into every corner of that bloody place. So if imagine if you had to take every single box and every single, you know, thing stuffed under a shelf or whatnot and take it all out, put it into a central location and then look for this stupid rat. Well, same sort of thing. Now imagine that they aren't even there when you go look and they come back later on. Well, that's the persistence thing. So on a computer system, you can keep persistence incredibly well. You can hide all of your activity. You can make it look just like normal activity. You can even literally blind the tools that it takes to actually detect it. And if you don't put out the right rat trap for them to go bite on and get clamped down on, well, they'll just run rampant throughout the garage and then maybe even into the house, into something that, and that you really care about. And maybe, as you're saying, undetectable. Yes, undetectable. Maybe yeah. you, f you find the hole that they came in through and you patch that. Yes, that's right. But they still might be inside that's right. lingering. That's right. They, they might be inside and just hiding from you or s making themselves so stealth that you could never find them. Um, you know, camouflaging themselves. I mean, you can think about it real creatively, right, of what these bad guys in nation states are capable of. And they are incredibly sophisticated. I mean, this is all they do all day long. You know, in many of these communist countries, the, the threat of their underperformance is a gulag. You know, it's prison. It's not just for them, but it's for their entire families. Like, this is this is the real world. This is how it works. So when everything is at risk, you will do almost anything. And that, that brings up an important comment here is that when, when we look at who's behind this, this is almost certainly what you're describing here as a nation state. And 
Is, is that right? I think you have to, yeah, presume. I mean, attribution is such a tricky game, you know, trying to attribute this to somebody. It'd be like saying, well, which rat out there in the world came into your house? I mean, mm. uh, yeah, is there, there value are, in it? I'm sure there are rat What's experts. the point? Yeah, well, the only value in attribution in my book is to explain to your superiors who's doing this. Because the board, they understand attribution. Like, who is this? And it makes you feel better. Like, oh, well, it's the Russians that came in. Oh, well, that makes me feel good. Like, at least I know who... It was Henry the Rat. Yeah, it was Henry. <laughs> it wasn't the Ratatouille guy, because he's nice. You know, like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you just don't... You just don't know... There's not much value, I, I guess, is in my point, right? Except to just... It's a feel-good moment of like, ah, I have this under control. I know it's the Russians. Well, who cares if it's the Russians? If it's the Chinese, if it's the North Koreans, if it's the Sri Lankans, like it doesn't matter. Like absolutely doesn't matter. Now, there are people that argue with me on that. They think absolutely it does matter. Now, it matters in, in this one case in my book. If you're law enforcement, okay. you've got a badge, you got a gun, and you got a place to throw this guy or gal when you catch them in a jail somewhere, then yes, absolutely it matters. Otherwise, it just doesn't matter in my book. That's it's such a fascinating perspective because that seems to be from a, a, an emotional, visceral perspective. That's what we all want to jump to is like, OK, mm-hmm, who do we blame? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Microsoft President Brad Smith had made an interesting comment that I'm curious to get your insight into. Uh, he said that this is not espionage as usual, even in the digital age. Instead, it represents an act of recklessness. What what does that what does that mean? Should we just accept accept that there's rats in the house, uh, you know, occasionally, and as long as they're nice about it, or what's yeah. what makes this distinct? Uh, you know, I don't know what he was really trying to get at. What I will say is this is absolutely not unique. Uh, this is not mm. the first time we've seen this level of an attack at all. At least with the information that has been released so far, maybe there's something that they're keeping. But I mean, we've seen everything. I mean, I look, I worked at Intel. I mean, we were acquired by Mac. I was in Intel. I was in the bowels of how chips were made. Okay. I can tell you, we've seen more sophisticated stuff than this. Like what? I can't talk talk about it. I just, I can't. But I will tell you, just trust me on this one. You know, it's ugly. Okay. If, If bad guys really want to do really, really bad things, it's ugly. They can't do it. Right. So this is more of honestly run of the mill. The only thing that makes it unique is they hit a core plumbing element of the house. Like, it Mm. it goes everywhere. Like, you know, every single company, every single department, every single IT individual, they're they're all exposing the adversary into the environment through these companies and through this technique of the supply chain coding side uh, vulnerability. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, because it just looks, it's a Trojan horse. I mean, it it looks like a, a nice, pretty wooden horse, you know, like, sure, let that thing in. That sounds like a great gift. But but obviously, it just turns into complete chaos um, after you bring them in. So I don't know exactly what he's, he's talking about, just to, to finish that, my thought there, except maybe he's just taking advantage of it right now to talk about how strong Microsoft is in their response and, you know, using more of a marketing tool. But I, I'm speculating, you know, I, I don't really know. For sure. And so as, as we'll accept that maybe this is reckless, maybe maybe this is, uh, you know, as you're saying, just life is normal. It's run of the mill. With yeah. yeah. Pe- people hacking into things and really changing the the this sense of trust that we had for companies like SolarWinds and even FireEye and and all these companies that were affected. How do how does a company like SolarWinds come back if they had this trusted product that was installed on the NSA servers on uh, the all these government servers and then people said okay we're going to let it have all these privileges to go and basically run rampant because we trust it and then somebody puts code into it and now there's rats everywhere I how know. does solar winds come back well that? okay so how do they create that trust I know and this is one of the really depressing parts of our industry is that I, we all have the memories of goldfish when it comes to these problems, right? So the only ones that seem to really remember these things are the security experts. You know, we remember them all and we get one, I mean, you burn us once, we're done. Like, (laughs) I don't know what sort of password uh, tool you use, like what, you know, you save your passwords in and whatnot. But there was I'm not going to say it on here. Yeah, you might not want to. But <laughs> I'll tell you, there's been a couple of breaches of them right in the cloud and, and complete and utter total open breaches like it's, you know, not not limited in any way. And 
I remember when one of the first ones and I was like, yeah, I'm never using that thing again. I don't care. They could apologize. They could say sorry until the cows come. Well, they could give me money back. They can do anything. I said, I don't really care. I'm, there's no way I'm going to let them go. Now, there are there are others, though, that say, well, look, they are a victim just like anybody else. And we need to give them a chance to learn from that and then get better. And they're going to be hyper vigilant now. So they're probably the best place to be going and using their tools because now they've been burned. Now they can, you know, they have a reason to run around with their hair on fire and fix these problems holistically. But unfortunately, what we've learned from the past is that they fix this one thing in this one isolated case. And no one makes a long term commitment in the company to fix it everywhere because it's not an overnight thing. And it's 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 not running a marathon. It's running running a marathon of marathons. It just is inevitably forever what you have to deal with on this stuff. So, unfortunately, you know, it, it's just going to happen again, and it might just happen again to them. Now, if they get hit two or three times similarly, then absolutely, I think that their days will be numbered in terms of uh, their supportability and their renewals. Um, but if, you know, you get hit once or twice, it's sort of like par for the course. You know, you, the, the old the old saying, if you're just not if you don't get hacked up once or twice in your life, you know, you're just not trying hard enough. You know, it, you're not. <laughs> you weren't interesting enough. You're not interesting <laughs> enough. Someone exactly. attack. <laughs> this is exactly right. So I don't know. I, I do think that they can recover from this like most everybody does and FireEye as well, you know, Um and uh, and they'll get better and better about it, especially Fire. I will. They, they'll take this stuff seriously. Kevin, Kevin's no joke when it comes to that stuff. Um, but the rest of the industry, you know, they get hacked up all the time now. I mean, they'll they'll mess up and they'll make other mistakes and and then just have to uh, catch it quick enough, you know. And and as we when we look at that and the mistakes that people make, often it seems like a lot of hacking is as a result of people not fixing bugs or filling bugs, i.e. not installing those patches. So one of the the questions that seems to be coming up with this is, you know, were the people, all the customers who installed the March 2020 patch that had the uh, the original code in it, they were the ones that were victim. All the people who broke policy and didn't install the, the necessary patches are fine. Does this change people's point of view on, like, should it change people's point of view on installing patches? Well, yes. And that should be one of the best takeaways and lessons learned from all of this. And it's one of the reasons why I started Silence. You know, hmm. th the Silence technology, without a doubt, was built 100% to prevent these kinds of attacks. Because you would not trust... Just because it came from SolarWinds, why would I trust that, right? Just like, why would you trust an HP driver, right? Why? Just because it came from HP? How do you know who the coders are that wrote that stuff? Like, you don't really know, right? So the age-old maxim in cybersecurity is trust, but verify. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which basically means you don't trust so anybody. Simple. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. and it means at the end of the day, you don't trust anybody. You verify that if they say they're doing these things, you verify they're doing these things. Otherwise, you do not trust. So in this case, SolarWinds case, every single update should be vetted. Every single update should be tested against tools like Silence to, to detect maliciousness buried inside of the application. Um, and that's exactly what Silence and now BlackBerry does uh, with that technology. They'll, they'll go and detect that stuff like all zero day, all before there's ever a signature ever been written. And, and so that kind of technology is built to prevent these kind of things. However, if you don't have that technology handy, fine, no problem. Then you run it in a test environment first. You monitor it very closely, carefully in many different ways, right? From the network, from the system call, from the application calls and the events on the system itself uh, all the way on through. And you, you might even reverse engineer it a bit, you know, to look for those security flaws because, um, the DMCA perfectly allows you to do that. And you should be able to look at the code that is written by somebody else to look for these kind of backdoors. And, and, and so it definitely allows for it. So, you know, the problem is that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of expertise. Uh, so, but it is the best way to verify that what they're sending you is what you expect and nothing more. Um, but other than that, you know, there are other solutions out there that do help limit the risk a bit. So, like, for example, there are third party risk management providers like CyberGRX, 
And in full disclosure, I'm associated with them as well, but they are a, a software cloud provider that assesses all your vendors from a cybersecurity risk and a cyber compliance risk, and then measures their level of, of exposure or their level of risk, sort of like a FICO score or a DMB sort of number that allows them to track on your viability as a, a cyber company or providing cyber uh, prevention um, within your company. And so if you have, you know, a hundred suppliers, a thousand suppliers, I mean, these are some companies that have hundreds of thousands of suppliers, um, they can go about and manage and at least measure the risk in those environments and then um, and then give you the power that you hold already to go back to them and say, guys, we're not renewing this contract unless you fix these problems, like, or unless you can certify that these things are taken care of. And so it gives you the power as a company and as the, you know, as the, the ultimate provider here or the buyer of these suppliers, it gives you the ability to control and, and actually fix the problems that are inherent in their systems and, and in their software. So you just have to take a much more directed and firsthand approach into this problem. You can't sit back passively anymore. I think that's one of the big lessons and, you know, trust, but verify. And you verify by testing it. <laughs> and so by testing it, uh, the the concept of software as a service has come up. And how do you audit that? It's easy when you have the software in front of you. But when it's running on a server on maybe the other side of the world, how do, how do you audit that? Hugely challenging. Yeah, it's hugely challenging. That's where I, I go back to two... I go back to CyberGRX because they can do some level of at least compliance audit. They might not be able to review the code, but then you you engage with a company like ShiftLeft that does exactly that. It looks at the code. It compares it uh, actually to all the known issues that we have out there, vulnerabilities, exploitations, uh, sort of malicious features that are built in or just, you know, just bad programming and can tell the programmer that, hey, they need to fix these things before they push the stuff out. And so you do need to have, in a SaaS world, you need to have some repository or exchange of information that says that you are doing the right things as a vendor to prevent these kinds of attacks. That's the trust part. But then the verify part is you need to have somebody come in and actually implement a source code auditing technology platform of some sort that will analyze and measure the level of risk that that code presents to your company in the code base. Yeah. So th there's just no two ways about it. You need both of those elements in there. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, I, I know that's a common question that's coming up, especially in the cybersecurity world where things are becoming more disjointed and more dependent on others. As we, as we close out our program together, do you have any final thoughts that you want to ensure everyone hears about the importance of trust and what we can do to create a better, more trusting world in this new cybersecurity uh, landscape that now I think people are reminded every single day that it impacts them? It's not just those dancing polar bears uh, on their grandma's computer, yeah. as you mentioned earlier. That's right. I mean... Trust but verify is probably my key message to take away that you can always, you know, you do practice this quite a bit um, already if you don't even realize it. When you get an email, hopefully now you've learned, all of the audience has learned to not simply click on every single link that you get from an email, right? You look at who sent it. You look, think to yourself, am I expecting this? Am I not? Is this a random? Like, because if so, I don't trust this person. So this is a level of trust, but verify that you have to go through all the time. And, you know, based on your knowledge and sophistication, you could do quite a bit of verification. You can actually look up the domain and you can look up who owns it and where they exist and where uh, did this email come from, what country, et cetera. And you can do all that. Or you can just say, I'm not expecting it. And it's from some sketchy, you know, source domain. So I'm not trusting it. And unfortunately... The ones, you know, it's sort of like doctor heal thyself, right? Like a lot of the IT folks, they're so comfortable doing what they do that sometimes they forget, they think it's just innate and that they, they could never like miss an opportunity to validate and verify, but that's often what happens. And, and I think that for those, and I, I trust me, the first 10 years of my career, I was in IT. Like that's what I did. There wasn't a cyber job out there uh, anywhere in the world at that time. So it was really about IT. So I, 
I built networks, I built servers, I, I coded uh, huge applications. I can tell you all the time that, yeah, you just get a little lazy. You're like, eh, you know, it's not going to happen to me. I'll let this through. And unfortunately, all that's happened is just that one time. So I'd say trust, but verify every time you can before you allow something to happen. It's, it's sort of that simple. That's uh, it's simple and yet so complex, <laughs> right? And so much requires so much work and vigilance. It does. It only takes a moment to mm-hmm. accidentally let the rats in. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, get something like Silence BlackBerry uh, with the prevention capability because that'll that'll pick it up and prevent it in real time. You won't even see. It'll be one little blip of alert that says we blocked this here, and you'll be <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, everything else works. So like, keep going. Yeah, not even recognizing how devastating it could have been if you didn't have exactly if that alert didn't come through you are now in a world of pain for like the next two years like this is not a joke yeah truly well from my from what i've taken away from this is you've mentioned this trust but verify something i'm going to have to continue to chew on it's and see what can i do uh as as a business leader to ensure that we're trusting uh but also verifying all of the vendors that we use especially as we now have this very real analogy of a contagion where everybody we come in contact with may be giving us or we may be giving them COVID. The same is true with this enti- our entire supply chain of, uh, of cybersecurity products and just any type of uh, digital product. And with that, that also just really brings to the to the front of mind these the things that have been designed to help us trust identity like multi-factor authentication and trusted security certificates and installing patches on software all these things that we have to continue to trust recognizing they are fallible there's there are holes but companies can reestablish that such as solar winds and fire eye by recognizing this isn't the end of the world this isn't entirely uncommon but it is something that we need to take very seriously Exactly. It's not the end of the world. It will happen to everybody. It's just inevitable. I mean, if FireEye can get hacked, I mean, one of the top five cybersecurity companies in the world today, anybody can get hacked. So it will happen. It's an issue of how quickly can you detect it? Can you prevent it? And if you can prevent it, put put things in place to prevent it, but ultimately try to detect it quickly and respond quickly. Fantastic. Well, to our audience, We've shared our takeaways from Stuart, from myself. I'd love to hear yours. Please comment them, tweet them, let us hear about them. If you've applied any of Stuart's advice to your business, to your career, shoot us a message and tell us about your experience. We might just share it on the next episode. And if our listeners would like to get more of your perspective, uh, Stuart, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I think first, you know, I try to stay active uh, still on LinkedIn. I think that's a great place to sort of keep current. Um, But I also have a Twitter at Stuart McClure. Um, And then, uh, you know, just keep an eye out for me. I've got good things sort of cooking up. So it should be fun. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing what is next for Stuart McClure. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Luke. It was so much fun. And to the audience, join us next time on The Trust Revolution.